We raise the bar across the industry, right? No one else is doing anything I just talked about. Just the, the ease of taking out a loan on, on Celsius versus any other process is actually mind-boggling. Every day you go to sleep, your dollars are worth less than when you wake up. Everyone who's in it realizes that, hey, you're, you're very early. And the question is, are we going to have universal money, something that works worldwide, just like the internet works everywhere around the world? Well, Alex, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Very, very excited for this conversation. And uh, I have to say, I watch your initial conversations and debates with Peter Schiff. I've seen everything that you've done with Celsius. It's absolutely incredible. So I pre appreciate you taking the time. Sure. No, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, it's always fun to talk about crypto in the news. We are living in interesting times. Yeah. And I feel like you're the perfect person uh, to speak with about that because you've been right so many times in the past, especially one of the hardest things is price predictions. You seem to have a good pulse on the cycles anyway. But how about you start by uh, just talking a little bit about your background, um, what you're doing at Celsius, and uh, we can go from there. Sure, yeah. So uh, born in the Ukraine, I, I came to the States back in the, in the 80s. So I was here right at the birth of the internet, which was great. Uh, I got to work on voice of IP and other telecom and technology innovations. So did eight startups as a founder and so raised over, uh, now it's like $2 billion and, and had uh, now four unicorns. Yeah, so definitely this country was, uh, the United States been very good for me and kind of uh, helped me actually, I left the Ukraine, my parents left the Ukraine because the US helped kind of uh, get Jews out of, out of Russia, out of the Eastern Bloc. So I'm here to repay for all of those good deeds that, uh, Americans did for me like uh, a long time ago. And Celsius is all about that. It's about giving back. It's about creating something for the people, by the people. As you know, we are, uh, most of us uh, just can't uh, make it through the months, can't, can't save for retirement, government taxes us, and then whatever is left, we can't earn anything on that. And uh, I decided to create something that basically takes advantage of crypto, of these new set of rails, to deliver real yield, cheap loans, and a, you know a future for for many of us. So now Celsius has almost 1.8 million users worldwide and uh, 23 billion in assets, and uh, we paid over a billion in yield to to the community, which is unheard of, right? That's more than even large banks pay their customers in total, right? So you know we're we're here to do good and then do well. Speaking as a as a user of your company's products, it, it's just so easy to navigate. I think that a lot of times. Uh, especially years ago, everyone was talking about oh, the infrastructure, the infrastructure, when is it going to be usable and accessible? And the funny thing is, is when you actually go and use these products, I mean, it's exponentially more like, for example, Celsius, I feel like is exponentially more user friendly than so many of the more uh, legacy institutions. And uh, just the, the ease of taking out a loan on, on Celsius versus any other process it, it is actually mind boggling to uh, think that that's available to people. And look, crypto is amazing, but it's difficult, right? You have to be, a, you know, like a real pro to know how to create a wallet and hold your private keys and move money on chain. Like recently, we recovered over $50 million for users who send coins on the wrong chain or send it to the wrong address or, and all that stuff just goes into the ether, right? And disappears and people like they're crying for help. They don't know who to call. And these are the things that Celsius does uh, for free, right? We, we have a call center with a hundred agents that basically answers all your questions. Try, try that with Coinbase or try that with any crypto company, right? There's no one to talk to you. 
you send an email or request and you never hear it back from these people. Definitely not on things that are your mistake. No company will try to work for you help you recover lost coins. So again, if we want this community to be successful, we have to help each other. And when you look at the Celsius community, you see how it's not just the company helping Celsians. It's the Celsius community. Go on our Twitter, go on our Telegram channel. You'll see the conversation and you're not going to see that anywhere else. It's a, <clears throat> it's a true community. Actually going off of that, I think I'd seen something uh, on your website uh, regarding, um, is it proof of community? There was something that you guys are doing. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about it because that was a new concept to me. Sure. So the blockchain is open to everybody, right? You can go and, and see anything. But again, you need a, probably a PhD in computer science to figure out how to track transactions or how to hop from one chain to another or how to read smart contracts and things like that. And 99% of the population has no clue what that is or where to do it or how to do it. So Celsius basically said, okay, how can we... Uh, encapsulate that into uh, what's called zero proof. So a way to prove things uh, with just thumbs up or thumbs down with the community be, and again, open source. So you anyone can come and see that we're doing the right thing uh, where we can prove to people, okay, we actually deployed the coins. We actually earned the yield. We actually distributed to you pro rata. You earned, if you're 1% of the Bitcoin pool, you earned 1% of the yield created, right? So those are the things that, try that with your bank. Go to your bank and make a deposit and say, okay, I want to know what you're doing with my money. Where are you sending it? Who's using it? How much interest you're earning? And how much am I getting out of that yield, right? The banks will laugh at you. They'll throw you out. They'll close down your account. So Celsius does the opposite. Celsius basically sell full, full transparency, proof of community, proving to the community that we are doing what we're saying. Uh, also, Rewards Explorer is another service we have where you can, again, look at the earnings, see what, what's happening, what's transpired. Proof of reserves, it's something that we're doing with Chainlink, where we can prove that the assets we have actually exist with the third-party Oracle, uh, which is a very reputable firm, you know, and the chain analysis. And so really best practices. And, and no one, we raise the bar across the industry, right? No one else is doing anything I just talked about. And we didn't have to do it. It's not like that was a competitive thing to do and other people were doing it and we were just catching up with them. This is something we did because so many people are afraid of the scams, the hacks, the theft that's going on. Just this year, $3 billion were stolen from crypto users right on DeFi. Wow. So how do you know that uh, joining Celsius is a safe bet and you're not going to get any of these uh, experiences, right? So these all tools or, or utilities that Celsius provides to the community to make sure that we all benefit together. I, I personally have hundreds of millions of dollars of my own money on Celsius. And uh, so I'm earning just like you. I'm, I'm earning the same interest that you're earning. We don't, we don't have special deals. It's not like the CEO or employees or some fat cats are getting higher rates because they're rich. Everybody earns the same yield. Everybody gets the same price uh, for a loan and everybody has access to the same utility. And that's really what the big difference between banks and, and companies like Celsius. I definitely want to get into to some current events and news, but I guess final question is, what's your, as I guess, more of a future prediction for financial ecosystem might be the best way for you to think about it, but um, where do you see this going? Like, let's say uh, you fast forward the clock five years. I mean, what right now it seems like you guys are working on so many things that are kind of novel. And I'm just wondering, 
where you see it going in you know the next five years and and how the whole landscape is shaped from these products that just you know put these tools that have never been available in in your hands yeah so uh you know the joke about banks is that the the last thing they innovated or created was the atm machine 1975 you know like you haven't really seen anything new from any bank they're bragging about oh we have a, an app and you can actually take a picture of your check. Why are we using a check? Let's ask that question, you know? So I think the, the real difference between uh, crypto and what's happening in the banking world is the speed of innovation, right? When you look at the, I call it the Cambrian explosion of innovation, right? So, so you have fintech has really, has not been able to innovate over the last 30 years, even though hundreds of billions of dollars went into fintech companies because they were all using the same rails, the same financial rails as the banks. So no matter what you did, you ended up uh, hitting a bank or some kind of toll collector, Visa, MasterCard, whatever, right? In, in the process and really the innovation stopped right there, right? So crypto allows you to bypass all of that, allows you to create things that never existed before, like Celsius paying yield, 7% on your stable coins, on your dollars, right? I mean, unheard of, right? We, it was as high as 10%. So, so these are things that, that for most people, they look like magic, right? And, or 1% loans, right? Can you take a 1% loan anywhere with no uh, uh, credit check, no employment verification, right? Just you apply and you get a loan right away right? Same day or next day long. So these type of innovations are things that banks just can't keep up with, right? And, and that's really the main advantage. And they're global, right? So instead of you working with your local bank that services maybe your city or your state or your country, now anything we launch is globally available to almost 8 billion people. And that really makes a huge difference in, in your ability to scale, your ability to provide services and so on. So, so Celsius really has been doing I think a great job. Uh, I think the first kind of wave of innovation was all about store of value. Bitcoin as a store of value was a new concept. Then Ethereum came with the smart contracts. And, and then the third innovation, really Celsius was the first company ever to offer you this yield, right? Offer you yield on 50 something assets. And you didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to trade. You didn't have to be an expert at DeFi or be on the computer seven days a week pressing buttons, right? You you put assets to work and every Monday we pay you more coins on your coins, right? So, you know, now we have a lot of copycats, which is great. I'm, I'm happy to that other people have finally figured out how to help the community earn more. And we pride ourselves by how much we, we paid the community. Again, I, I laugh at Coinbase and other companies who brag to their shareholders, look, we made a billion dollars in revenues this quarter. Well, where'd you get that billion? You charge your customers fees, right? I charge institutions fees and I pay my customers every week. The opposite of what my, all these big guys do. So each user has to decide, do I, do I want to support people who are just like the bank, charging me fees and paying all that money, giving all those profits to shareholders? Or do I want to create a new community, a new world in which we all get together, act in our own best interest, and the institutions are paying us fees. That's really what's special. So who is the Robin Hood? Who is the real Robin Hood in this, in this community? It sounds like more bloated institutions are the ones that you're going to see not be able to innovate, not be able to keep up. And then the more nimble global companies that utilize the technology and give you as the customer the best experience are the ones that are going to continue to be, be growing and, and uh, be adopted around the world. So that's great. Um, so I, I know that I... I mean, 
almost the, it's the topic of the day. So it's definitely going to be asked about, but I'm, I'm curious, uh, not, not many people can say that they've started a unicorn. Uh, Wes can say that they've started multiple unicorns, even less understand all the ins and outs of every single piece that's going on in the Twitter acquisition by Elon Musk. And so um, just your thoughts, like, I mean, what, what do you think is going on here? Uh, I mean, not only from a business perspective, but, you know, potentially other motivations of him going and buying Twitter. What do you think is going through Elon's mind when he when he makes a decision like that and and decides to make a play that I guess can't be ignored? Everyone's speaking. Sure. Yeah. And, and so, look, I, a lot of companies, uh, they start as a great innovation. Like, you know, I joined Twitter in 2009 and, and, you know, it was definitely it was already a few years old, but but basically it was doing it was a new form of speech, new form of communication. And I think the company just stagnated over time, right? And I think Elon is looking at this. He, he obviously has, I think, 85 million followers or something like that. So he's one of the top guys on Twitter. And he's like, hey, you can't just decide what I say or what I don't say. And he just decided to do something about it. Most of us just get frustrated or we switch a platform or we tell our friends. Elon decided to write a check for $50 billion to change it. Basically, I think you can admire that. You can see the commitment. Obviously, I think the Tesla and the SpaceX people are a little worried that he's going to get distracted and not spend enough time with their innovating with them. But I think we all are happy that uh, Elon is coming to innovate in the social media space. I think, you know, Facebook and Google and other companies have really uh, came to dominate uh, the internet, centralize the internet, right? Facebook is now... 60% of the internet, it's like a private cloud that is occupying 60% of the global internet, right? So wow. that's centralization. That's not decentralization. Opening speech is decentralization. Crypto, decentralization, right? So, so I think it's great to see that we're uh, pushing the you know, pendulum in the right direction instead of in the wrong direction. And I only expect uh, good things from Elon taking over Twitter. I was thinking the same thing. It's crazy when you see people with these massive, massive followings getting deplatformed. And I think one of the things that Elon Musk, he'll put it out there and uh, it's almost like worn like a badge of honor. He says that they're not spending money on advertising. But if if he loses, for example, his Twitter audience, that pretty much is like his, his advertising for his company. So I would be, yeah, it's almost like a risk mitigation strategy. It's like you can't risk getting deplatformed because all your companies are going to take a massive hit from something like that. I think he can go, if he moved to another, another platforms, his followers will move with him. He has such a devout, uh, devout followers that uh, I don't think he only did this because he was worried about losing his followers. I think he really felt frustrated about the actions that Twitter and other are taking about the kind of uh, censorship and uh, deciding uh, uh, randomly and without explanation uh, who and what they curtail, uh, as if they're the arbiter of truth or that they know what uh, what is good and what is bad, right? So, look, the, democracy is a very fragile thing. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, uh, I think our founding father said, uh, I give you a republic if you can keep it, right? That's a quote. And, and uh, the fear is, the real fear is that, that uh, if we provide uh, free speech, uncensored speech, you know, like we saw with the Russians and other people who kind of interfere, come in and inter intervene in the conversation and make you hate your neighbor or make you uh, go into a fight with, with uh, people who don't believe in your political following. That's what everybody's afraid of. And, and uh, we used to have uh, real reporting. We used to have real uh, media. 
now everything is driven by profit and by uh, clicks. Who can get the most clicks and get the most ads? And really, I think uh, part of what Elon is going to try to fix here is separate those two, just like they used to be separated, right? Where, where content was created and uh, managed on a completely different scope. And he can afford that, right? He can basically do it for the right reasons. <clears throat> and that may force everybody else to do the same thing because if Twitter becomes the only space where real conversations are being had and everything else is either censored or is politically inclined to the left or to the right, then I, I think most of us are going to find our way to Twitter. That's an incredible point. Another topic that I want to touch on with you is overall macro environment of what you're seeing in the not only the crypto markets, but also the, the broader financial markets. So not sure where you want to start, but uh, those are those are two topics uh, that, that well, I think would be great to get your get your take. Sure. On. There's an expression that says don't fight the Fed. And, and from 20, 2008 to 2022, beginning of 2022, don't fight the Fed meant uh, buy stocks, go on leverage, take as much risk as possible. And if you did that, you did well. Yeah, there were some uh, drawbacks and so on, but, but you, you, overall you did well. Starting January of 2022, don't fight the Fed means the opposite, means don't own stocks, don't own uh, 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 you know, uh, risk assets because the Fed is tightening and the Fed is basically withdrawing liquidity from the market. So, so I think most people are still thinking that they can catch a falling knife here. They can basically find, oh, you know, market is down 20%. Let me buy in right now. It's definitely going to rebound and go to all-time highs. But, uh, you know, we have one of the longest uh, economic expansion in history with something like $30 trillion worldwide of new money being printed. It's not just the United States. I mean, if you look at how much money Europe and China and Japan and other countries have printed, altogether, you're talking about $30, $30 trillion, right? Unprecedented amount of money. Again, Think about it, almost half of all the money that was ever printed was printed in the last two to three years. So monetary inflation, when you measure inflation in how many more dollars or yen or whatever were added, uh, monetary inflation is something like 20% a year. Consumer price index is up, whatever, five, six, 7%. But so if you want your money to keep up with monetary inflation, you really need to uh, find things like Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? So if you take the last 10 years and you say, okay, if we measure everything in Bitcoin, instead of measuring everything in dollars, how did the stock market perform? Well, it's down 99% against Bitcoin. The stock market, if you just kept Bitcoin, you didn't invest it, you didn't do anything with it. You just bought Bitcoin, put it in a wallet, and you, you went on vacation for 10 years. The stock market underperformed Bitcoin by 99%, right? And you think that the stock market did amazingly well, right? If you yeah. bought Tesla, which is probably the best performing stock in the last decade, right? The stock market did more than 10 times better than Tesla, than the best performer. So these are things that people just don't understand. Most of us cannot think in those terms that, that something can do so much better uh, than the stock market. So, so it doesn't mean that you have to sell everything and go into stocks, uh, into crypto. It just means you have to have a balance. I'm not providing investment advice, but every good investment advice professional will tell you, you need to diversify, you need to have bonds and stocks and whatever. Well, great. Here's a new asset class that outperform everything. Do you have an allocation to it? 
And if you don't, uh, places like uh, Celsius and others that really make it super easy for you to both keep everything safe. You can reset your password. You can talk to an agent, right? Versus going into the wild west of DeFi and other things. And, and really, if you're a pro, great. You can go there and swim, swim with the sharks. But for most, I think doing it through services like Celsius is much safer and much better way to get their hands on court and on yield. Yeah, it's, it's interesting too on that topic of diversification because a lot of times you'll see people diversifying, but if you go a layer deeper, it's all, they might diversify or you might diversify with only exposure to, you know, like the U.S. denominated assets, right? Um, So all your eggs could still be in a single basket. You could own stocks, bond, currency, but if that's all denominated in the U.S. dollar and you see more and more dollars getting printed and all that getting devalued, it's almost like Bitcoin, you have this universally diversified asset that has exposure to all these different currencies. In a weird way, Bitcoin is giving you diversification in its, in its nature, just being a global asset, which is, is kind of fascinating to, to kind of realize that a lot of times you see everyone talking about diversification, but it's like, are you truly diversified? Yeah. And, and so in regards, to the, uh, in regards to the actual price cycles of where we're at, right? A lot of times you'll hear people talking about mining, for example, and, and the halving cycles, and then looking at previous data. And I'm just wondering, based on your take and your read of where we are today, and within that, where the crypto market is in regards to the uh, overall financial system, where do you think that this is heading? Uh, if you were to give your best guess over the next, uh, by the end of 2022, for example. Every day, more people are joining uh, the crypto revolution, right? Uh, most of it is organic. Most of it is people talking about it with their friends, talking about it with their coworkers and so on. And, and yet the number of total coins stays the same, right? So demand is higher, supply is fixed. And because of that, you have basically higher prices. Over time, you have higher prices. Now, sometimes prices go sideways. Sometimes prices correct because of this or that event. And But overall, when you have an asset that has fixed supply, which is the opposite of the US dollar or the opposite of most uh, fiat currencies, like I said, those are being printed faster than ever before in history. You definitely have a separation. You have this decoupling of fiat-based or uh, fiat-denominated assets and crypto-denominated assets. So the hard part is Again, there's 17,000 crypto assets, and it's very hard to figure out, um, you know, which one is going to outperform, right? Uh, 2020, for example, according to Masari, uh, our token, the sell, sell token, was the best performing asset in all of crypto. On the oh, top wow. 100 assets, it outperformed everything else. So I think it did 10 times better than Bitcoin, right? So it doesn't mean it's going to do it this year, the same thing, and so on. So, so really, no one knows, no one can tell you what's going to do well, what's not going to do well. And you really have to do your homework and you have to, again, diversify. You have to place several bets. You have to decide how much you're going to allocate to crypto. And people ask me like, what's the secret formula for deciding? And, you know, do you have some Excel spreadsheet with really fancy math to figure out how much to put the Bitcoin Ethereum and how to move between them, there must be some algorithm. And I'm like, no, it's actually very simple. You, you know, you buy some Bitcoin and you go to sleep. And if you can't sleep, if, if you're like sweating and you're turning in bed and you're checking the prices every 10 minutes, that means you bought too much Bitcoin. It's that simple, right? So take some off. And if you sleep like a baby, you bought some Bitcoin, you sleep like a baby. That means you didn't buy enough. That means for you, the amount of exposure that you need is just not there. So for each person, the formula is different. That's why 
I don't think, again, uh, all these people who are relying on somebody else's chart and, and thinking that somebody else can pick the future winners, uh, that's just not how it works. I, I know over time, prices are going higher and uh, I just watch the chart like everybody else. I mean, I listen to our community of 1.8 million people who are telling us every day, right? Every day that either accumulating more assets and putting them on a platform or they're taking them out. And we rarely have a negative day, right? I mean, we also publish, I do an AMA every Friday on YouTube and we publish our weekly results. So everybody can see what is the community doing? Is the community accumulating? Is the community disposing or moving somewhere else? And again, we, we're up to 23 billion because everybody's huddling, right? So I definitely see prices going higher. Uh, Bitcoin kind of, yes, it's correlated to the stock market when you look at it week by week or month by month. But when you zoom out, again, it sometimes it goes 5x in just a few weeks. And if you miss that window, if you were asleep or you were busy trading uh, Tesla while uh, Bitcoin decided to run or Ethereum started to decide to run, that's it. Those are the returns for the year, you know? So so just people have to understand that you, you can't really decide, uh, you can't really do like perfect timing of when you're in, when you're out. So you got to average in, you got to basically also, I think it was, when was it? I don't remember, but earlier in the year, last year, I, I told people, look, the fear greed index is at like 80, uh, meaning it's green all the way. Now is the time to rebalance. If you have too much exposure to Bitcoin and Ethereum or you're on leverage, take off the leverage. And people are like, what? You're telling me to sell Bitcoin? I'm like, no, go into stable coins, earn some yield. And when price is correct, you have some dry powder to average in, right? So, so those are things that people need to understand. You have to do that. All professionals kind of rebalance their portfolios. And many, many people in crypto, you know, get wrecked because they think they, they can time the market. They go 10X leverage. And uh, the only guys that make money when you go 10X leverage are Binance and FTX and all these guys who basically take the other side of the trade, right? They're on the other side laughing at you saying, okay, you want to give me your money? You want to give me your coins? Great. I'll sit and wait for the market to correct. It only has to correct 10% and I own all your coins. So that's really the risk that uh, a lot of people take unnecessarily. And, and, and you hear these stories and it's painful to hear these things. And that's why Celsius doesn't provide any leverage. We encourage people not to take leverage. It's already of 80 vol asset. The last thing you need is is more risk on top of that, more uh, jet fuel on top of uh, jet fuel. Yeah, well, I, I think it's it's interesting too because yeah, it's always so hard to put a particular price prediction on where uh, an asset's going, especially an asset as volatile as Bitcoin. And it, it really is just having that exposure and not missing those crazy run-ups. Because especially, I mean, you look at Michael Saylor, you look at a lot of people who are putting the, their price targets for a single Bitcoin at, you know, million, $10 million in the future. Uh, and when you look at the halvings, it's and look at the data, it actually doesn't seem like a crazy prediction at all. And so uh, when you look at that, though, it's like a, you just need to have exposure to the asset. You don't want to miss those run-ups over time. Yeah, and, and so look, uh, all, all these guys, uh, you know, Michael Sell is, a, is an amazing ambassador for the crypto community. And, but he's talking his own book, just like we talk our own book, right? So I have a lot of coins. I want the coins to go up. And, you know, Michael bought, I think he has 135,000 uh, uh, Bitcoins. So he got on the bus in front of you and he basically, he raised the prices for everybody. And he's now saying to everybody, come get on the bus, pay, pay uh, twice as much as I paid to make sure that my coins are worth more. That's fine. Again, that's how this community works, right? So if you have bags of Bitcoin and you got on the bus earlier, you, got, you probably paid less 
than the people who are coming after you. And the question is just for the newcomers who are just getting on the bus now, uh, do you believe that the, this ticket that you're buying for the Bitcoin bus is going to be also worth two times, five times, 10 times more in the future? Are there enough people behind you coming to on the bus who will be willing to pay higher prices, right? Really, really that's the bet you're taking because of the scarcity of the asset, right? And the opposite of that exists on Wall Street. Every, every day you go to sleep, your dollars are worth less than when you wake up. Guaranteed, okay, guaranteed that you go to sleep and you wake up and they're worth less every day without exception, right? Why? Because of the inflation, the monetary inflation that we live in. So those are things that most people just don't understand. Most people don't think about it. They don't feel it. You don't see extra dollars suddenly appearing on the street or growing on trees. But uh, all that money is being injected into financial markets and it's finding its way in form of inflation. And again, CPI or what the government tells you the numbers are, is not really the real inflation. So it really depends how you measure the stuff. Imagine like if you woke up and every single day in your bank account, you just saw less dollars, people would be freaking out. But the, the inflation, it's, it's almost sinister in the sense that it's, it's invisible to the, to the naked eye. Um, so unless you, you truly understand all, all these things, how it works, how the financial system works, it's almost like your purchasing power is just being completely taken away and the CPI isn't the true inflation. And the opposite of that is true as well. Like uh, you, you go to sleep, you wake up once a week uh, and you check your Celsius wallet and you have more coins in your wallet, right? So who else does that for you? Right? Yeah. Who, uh, does Coinbase does that for you? Does uh, does Binance do it for you? You know, so or does your bank? How much does your bank pay you on your coins, on your dollars? Right. So so we we forgot this era. We the, you used to be able to earn seven or eight percent on your dollars, right? And when I came to this country, you know, to the U.S., that was uh, I just went to city and I gave them my money and they paid me seven percent. You know. I didn't have to do anything. So those days are long gone. The, the new generation, the Gen Zs, they don't even want to work. They're like, why would I work? I mean, I have zero chance of buying a home. I don't want to get married. You know, I don't want to own a car. You know, I'll just wait for my parents to die. You know, that's what they're thinking. You know, they have all the money. I'll just wait for them to die. I'll just inherit everything. And there are consequences or there are side effects to money printing. And, uh, you know, again, that's very painful to see how we just don't want to take the medicine. We don't want to basically uh, take some pain uh, and basically fix our economy. And because of that, trillions of dollars, not billions, trillions with a T are flowing from TradFi or traditional finance into crypto, right? The fact that crypto got all the way to $3 trillion tells you that uh, how much pressure there is <clears throat> to escape that fiat world. It's crazy because it's still... People, I feel like on the outside, you look in and you think that you're late, but everyone who's in it realizes that, hey, you're you're very early to this. So, I mean, from your perspective, where do you think, you know, this is going, like the, the crypto market as a whole, uh, maybe if we talk in particular, like Bitcoin and, and Ethereum, some of the big big cap coins, where do you think that total market cap is going from, from 3 trillion over the next, you know, five years? Yeah. So, you know, there, there are different estimates. Some people are saying 10 trillion, some people are saying 20 or 30. And it really, again, depends on what happens with this uh, debt unwinding that we're going through. Like if we have a soft landing, you know, we're going to have one set of outcomes. If we have a hard landing, hard landing, meaning the stock market takes a big correction, uh, Fed uh, has to hike rates dramatically, inflation goes out of whack, right? So right now, the reason the markets are so choppy and, and uh, everybody's like risk off 
is because no one knows where this is going, right? And and uh, we're we're in uncharted waters, and so a lot of people are just worried. So I think again, because there is a just a broad adoption of crypto, and no matter what, prices are going to go higher. The question is, okay, again, are they going to a hundred thousand or like Michael Saylor is talking about a million dollars of Bitcoin? And and everybody has to decide like for themselves. Okay, again, how much of my fiat currency am I putting into this bucket? And then in that bucket, okay, what's the allocation? Am I putting half for Bitcoin, a quarter for Ethereum, and the rest I'm going to pepper on five different coins that I really like, or I'm allocating it differently, or I'm, I'm buying some kind of a basket that somebody else already created. So, you know, price predictions are hard. I think we have very strong support at that 30,000 level, 30 to 33,000. Again, we may retest that again. And we do see a lot of binds. Anytime we go below 40,000, we see a lot of binds from institutions and others people who don't have enough exposure. And every day you hear about ETFs and ETNs and all kinds of financial tools, 401ks and IRAs are all adopting these things. So those are all new sources of demand. <clears throat> and I just want to remind all your viewers that basically not a single bank in the United States owns Bitcoin, not a single one, not uh, none of their customers own Bitcoin through the bank, right? Same thing in Europe, right? So most of the large financial institutions have zero exposure to Bitcoin, right? If you look at BlackRock or you look at State Street or you look at uh, Vanguard, these are the three largest asset managers in the world. And none of them have Bitcoin directly, right? Uh, so I think uh, we're just at the beginning of the beginning. And basically, again, if you think of Bitcoin becoming a normal asset class and everybody putting 5%, let's say 5% of their assets into Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is at a million dollars if the if if you have a 5% allocation, right? So so that's really the bet you're placing. And, you know, going from uh, 50,000 to a million obviously is much better return than anything else you you can bet on. So I think it's something that is hard for noobs to, to understand. I think people who are already in crypto kind of convince each other every day to wake up in the morning, like, let me go on the chat group and, and get convinced again, because I got most of my money in Bitcoin. But for, for noobs, it's much harder for them to kind of think about, wait a second, but didn't you guys create this money out of nowhere? Uh, so how does it work? I don't understand. Well, Guess what? Fiat money is created out of nowhere. And the only thing it's relying on is the ability of the government to tax future earnings, future income from you and your children to pay off all that debt. And if they can't pay their debt, they're going to debase it. They're going to basically print more money and pay it with new money. So which means that whatever you have today is worth much less than what you think. I think the, the final thing I want to get your take on, and it's a, a pretty broad question, but at, I guess to start, have you read um, Ray Dalio's book, uh, uh, The Changing World Order. He talks about the rise and fall of empires right now, the current empire and that is in question and to be in decline right now is the United States. What stage of that cycle would you say that we're at today in terms of the fall of the US potentially and then the rising superpower potentially in China? Yeah, so several things. So one, you know, first, I, I agree with almost everything Ray Dalio is talking about. I also, if you watch some of my uh, presentations from a few years back, I, I have a slide talking about that as well, about how since the Roman Empire, we had uh, 
a dozen or so uh, different uh, reserve currencies and they all came and, and went and they all disappeared because too much debt. The, all of these empires printed too much debt and they couldn't uh, support it. You know, the Dutch Empire, the British Empire, so on, so on. So, so they all fell for the same thing, right? The debasement and inflation. And the United States is going through the same thing. But this war with Russia and the Ukraine, where the U.S. weaponized the dollar and really successfully kind of curtailed the actions that uh, the Russians uh, can can take, has really unified the West and strengthened the dollar, right? The risk off because of the war has forced a lot of people to go from their fiat currencies into the dollar, right? That's what they think is safe. And uh, that's like a life extension. It extends the life of the US dollar as a reserve currencies. So I think in Ray Dalio's video, you can see the US and China almost meeting, but I think current events uh, are gonna basically give us more time, maybe another 20 or 30 years. Uh, but it doesn't mean China is not gonna continue to do well. Obviously their main advantage, their secret weapon is uh, the fact that they have uh, over 1.3 uh, billion people living in the country and they just work seven days a week. They they don't, uh, you know, they're very uh, aggressive. They want to be successful. They're they're um, putting a lot of effort into kind of becoming number one in, in many different industries. So it's just a question of time of first, what the U.S. is going to do? How, do, how are we going to invent the future or take advantage of the future? And if you think about the U.S., I mean, really, we got all of our power after World War II because the United States uh, was not bombed and was not uh, pillared and was not conquered versus almost the rest of the world, almost everywhere, you had chaos, right? And so we got to build all of our manufacturing infrastructure and everything else while everybody else was struggling. And then we won the internet, we created and, and won the internet. And uh, now the question is, okay, the future of money or web 3.0, who's going to win that? Surprisingly, countries like Portugal and, and Singapore and uh, France and, and uh, El Salvador, are uh, running ahead of the United States in innovation, financial innovation. So again, if you zoom out, right, and you think about Web, web, web 1.0, and I'm actually writing a book about that right now. Uh, web 1.0 was all about uh, Moore's law, right? The computing power will double every 18 months. And that lasted for over 50 years, that formula. Web 2.0 was a Metcalf law, right? The create networks and the value of networks is uh, a square of the number of participants on a network. And, and the third one, the one we're living through right now is, is uh, uh, Nakamoto's law, Web 3.0 where we're migrating from just networks of people talking to each other. So if you, you think of web app, uh, of WhatsApp, or you think of Skype, or you think of uh, Facebook as networks with just people connected and somebody harvesting advertising revenues, Web 3.0 is all about value, internet of value, not just how many people are on the network, like the Bitcoin network or the Ethereum network, but also how much money, how much value is locked in that network. So it's a number of users times the uh, value lock. The valuations today are users times a value lock divided by 100. That's kind of the formula. And I think we are seeing a whole new, again, Cambrian explosion of innovation around that new concept. And the United States either wins that and, and creates the next 
wave of uh, value creation, or we just see that. Obviously, China already created their own digital yuan. They don't believe in the Bitcoin. So we're not competing. Uh, the dollar competes with, uh, with the digital yuan. But the sideshow, the sidekick here is this crypto revolution. And the question is, are we going to have universal money, something that works worldwide, just like the internet works everywhere around the world? There's no internet of England or internet of the United States. But we have money of England and we have money of the United States. So the question is, are we migrating? to this one universal currency or are we going to stay with uh, this or that dominant uh, fiat currency which may be moving from one empire to the next right and that's really the big question that uh, no one can answer so is the digital yuan is going to win that's what ray dalia is saying you know china's going to win sooner or later or is some universal currency i believe in that universal currency i believe that time has come and again it might take 20 or 30 years but time has come for a currency it might not be even be bitcoin but a currency that lives on the internet a web 3.0 currency to replace uh, this idea that each country or each region has their own uh, currency yeah well this has been an unbelievably fascinating incredible conversation thank you so much the ideas that you shared uh and talk through on this I've, i haven't heard anywhere so um really appreciate the time and uh we'll have to do it again yeah thanks for having me and uh, thanks for being a celsian yeah of course i'm loving it <laughs> take care